And welcome to the UVM podcast, the place where we discuss all things related to utility vegetation management and the ways in which we can collectively improve the reliability, safety, and legal and regulatory compliance on transmission and distribution networks. Our objectives here are simple. No outages, no fires, and no one gets hurt. Nick, how's it going today, my friend? Very good, thank you, Steve. Just finished uh, the first of two all-nighters with some uh, European colleagues, so uh, I'm nice and uh, coffeeed up here and, uh, and ready to go for today's episode. Uh, speaking of which, today's episode, we're going to focus on a topic that we think will be of, of quite high importance to our listeners. We thought we would do another one of these podcasts where we spend some time discussing UVM-related issues that are you know, not very uh, addressed at, at present without much sort of literature out there. Steve? Yep, Nick. This podcast episode will cover an issue I believe is really important for UVM folks, lawyers, regulators, and even legislators. Much like a recent episode where we talked about the rule of 70s, we are hoping the audience will give some thought to the topic we'll be talking about here today. Yeah. And also, much like our episode, the rule of 70s, we've asked our friend Larry Kahn from Two Lanes, UVMI, to join us today to talk about the issues. Warm welcome back, Larry. Hi, Nick. Hi, Steve. It's a pleasure to be back on the UVM podcast and to discuss an important issue we're currently performing academic research on, which is the issue of demarcation. Welcome back, Larry. And before we start asking you questions, let me see if I can briefly explain to the audience what we mean by the issue of demarcation. Let's start with an example of what a demarcation actually is. Utility arbors and managers plan for work on transmission right-of-ways, and during that process, they'll encounter several demarcation points. For example, a transmission right-of-way is land that a utility does not necessarily own, but they have the legal right and obligation to enter upon and maintain that land in some manner that protects the utility's infrastructures. But utilities don't have the right to go everywhere and anywhere. Their rights are typically defined by a line or demarcation that sets out where the right-of-way is located and what the documented demarcation allows. In other words, the right-of-way typically allows the utility to do what they think is necessary on the land to ensure compliance with applicable laws and, of course, system integrity. Let me take that transmission right-of-way example a bit farther. FAC 003 violations can occur and can be categorized based on specific demarcations on the same transmission right-of-way. For example, a tree falling into a transmission line from on the right-of-way is something you can expect to get in serious trouble for as a utility. These are called Category 2 violations. On the other hand, a tree falling into the same line from off of the right-of-way is a Category 3 violation, and even though it would cause the same damage to the line, it typically does not result in any serious violations. In the case of these Category 3 trees, or off-right-of-way trees, FERC and NERC both recognize that utilities don't have the same rights to inspect, remove, and trim these trees prior to the incident. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good example, Steve. Let me perhaps offer another what I think is a clear example of a demarcation line that is applicable to both energized transmission and distribution lines. As most of our listeners are aware, OSHA and other safety organizations have promulgated the minimum approach distances, or MAD, in order to clearly specify who can work within specific distances of energized lines and equipment. The MAD is expressed as a demarcation in space. So, for example, on a practical level, most distribution lines 
At common elevations, you cannot work within 10 feet of the energised primary line, unless, of course, you hold special certifications. Well, you guys have clearly done your homework on the subject. Good examples, both of them. Let me offer a third example of what a demarcation line is. California's Rule 35 says that any vegetation growing within 18 inches of an energized primary line is a violation of the rule, and the utility is potentially subject to a fine. Any other states with similar mandatory clearance requirements can be said to have specific demarcations that define work and also clearly identify when the utility hasn't done what it was supposed to do. The three of us have each given specific examples of demarcations utilized in this industry. They're not exclusive, and so perhaps we should also think more generally about the actual definition of demarcation, which really means setting or fixing the actual limits or boundaries of something. Well, hopefully, Larry, our audience now understands that a demarcation line is a point in space where certain things are required, right? Well, mostly yes, Steve. Uh, But what I think a demarcation line for UVM should actually accomplish is not just to establish certain requirements. Conceptually, if our objective is to work towards the elimination of outages, fires, and accidents, the regulators who oversee and authorize expenditures for UVM work need to provide demarcation lines that do all of the following. One, define the work area. Two, explain exactly what the regulators expect the utility to do within that area. Put simply, give them the right to do the work and then tell them exactly what they want done. I should also say that in addition to these two necessities, three, the utility also needs to be assured they will recover all reasonable costs for doing the work. This funding properly should come from the ratepayers and should not be coming from the shareholders. Also, I'd say, four, the regulators should perform inspections of their own within such areas to confirm the work has been accomplished within specifications and to mandate corrections and issue penalties in the event of violations. If you look at what FAC 003 does for transmission lines, it actually accomplishes all of those objectives. The federal regulators recognized that utilities have the absolute right to clear hazardous vegetation within the boundaries or demarcations of their right-of-ways and have, for the most part, compelled utilities to do so. FAC 003 further defines what they expect the utility to do on that right-of-way, namely, manage it to avoid grow-in or fall-in outages. So do you think, um, Larry, you know, thinking back to California's Rule 35, is, is that a rule with clear lines of demarcation or not? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick. While it is correct that California's mandatory clearance requirements and hazardous tree uh, provisions are the toughest distribution UVM requirements in the country, It's also fair to point out that these requirements are not as complete in addressing the demarcation challenge as the federal standard found in FAC 003. For example, on the federal side, the regulations are clear about the rights of the utility to do the work on their right-of-ways, but California's Rule 35 does not set a demarcation point nor does it provide the utility the right to do any work outside of any demarcated utility easement. 
This sets up an unfortunate situation in which utilities in California are compelled to comply with Rule 35 and can be penalized if they fail to do so, but at the same time, don't currently have the actual right to do the expected work. The results of these two different demarcation approaches is as clear as day. On the federal side, the problem of inside right-of-way trees falling on transmission lines since the passage of FAC 003 has largely evaporated. But California utilities have struggled to meet Rule 35 requirements, and violations have time and again proven to be the ignition point in wildfires every year for the last several years at least. Let me jump in here for a second, Larry. It's my understanding that the California legislature is currently considering a bill that will give the utilities the right to enter upon and perform work on either public or private property and do what they think is necessary to avoid any tree and power line conflicts or violations of Rule 35 and other laws in the state. Uh, Are you familiar with that bill, Larry? That's right, Stephen. I am. Uh, The bill you're talking about is SB 396. And everyone performing UVM work in California should be watching this bill to see if it passes. In its current form, it authorizes entry on land for the purpose of doing any work the utility feels is necessary on public or private property. That's certainly a step in the right direction in terms of giving utilities legal authority. But as you know, there's a difference between having a legal right and actually being able to exercise it. I would think that many property owners would object to utilities having carte blanche to take any action on their land, and that this will lead to legal challenges. I appreciate that the state has a real concern with protecting its populace from the threat of wildfires that are caused by tree and power line conflicts, but I also think that it is going to be hard for the state to explain why this is not a taking of private property for which compensation would be due. It seems to me that there is a basic constitutional issue here that really needs to be addressed. I believe the authors of SB 396 have good intentions in promoting safety from wildfires. And I also think that most Californians would be willing to voluntarily surrender their rights for the common good without compensation. But That's not what the Constitution requires, and property owners would be correct, in my view, in demanding compensation if their rights as property owners are infringed. I also note that the intent of SB 396 is to provide this authorization to utilities only for a limited time, presumably to allow the utilities the ability to catch up on vegetation management programs. But as you both know, Once a right is granted, it is very hard to take it back. And drought or no drought, with vegetation, the need to enter upon land that is outside the demarcated right-of-way will always exist. I wonder what would happen under California's inverse condemnation rule if a utility was prevented from entering onto private land, even though it had the right to do so under SB 396, and then that property became the ignition site for a major fire. Presumably, both the utility and the victims would point to SB 396 as the basis for both prosecution and defense. Nick, this has been an interesting aside, 
but SB 396 is not yet law. Maybe we should consider a future episode that talks about the bill and the challenges utilities face in enforcing the rights granted by SB 396. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, Larry. I mean, it might go through multiple further iterations. So yeah, let's come back to this one once it's, uh, you know, sort of there in black and white and, uh, and fully baked. Yeah, and Steve, just thinking that we should also probably make a note to provide a link uh, to the bill language in our show notes. Uh, so followers that are interested could have a read through it and follow the bill uh, as it progresses. Writing that down as you're speaking, Nick. Well, thanks, guys. And on a related note, I just mentioned inverse condemnation. Uh, Unlike most other states, utilities in California are also currently subject to a rather unique interpretation of inverse condemnation. Our podcast with uh, Randy Gimble several weeks ago explained the legal concept uh, behind this. But for our listeners of this podcast that may have missed that, can you give us a quick summary or reminder of, of what inverse condemnation is? Uh, Sure, Nick. Uh, Typically, inverse condemnation is a concept that is restricted to holding government liable when its actions have an unintended adverse impact on private property. The concept is rooted in the takings clause of the Constitution, which provides that the government shall not take private property without just compensation. The typical taking is planned, such as when the government takes property to build something like a building. However, sometimes government action results in an indirect or unintended taking, which likewise needs to be compensated. In California, courts have determined that utilities act enough like governments that they should be held to the same standard. So now, the interpretation of inverse condemnation in California results in utilities in California being responsible for all damages caused by tree and power line related fires, regardless of where the offending tree was located, who owned it, what condition it was in prior to failing, or whether or not it was a healthy tree that simply fell over during high winds. You know, Larry, uh, the influence of Inbert's condemnation is actually why I'm a bit concerned about the adoption of the proposed bill. If utilities are going to be held responsible for any tree that falls into a power line and causes a fire, then the smart thing for them to do, at least from a liability standpoint, uh, and if given the freedom of action provided by SB 396, would be for the utilities to remove or top all trees with strike potential, regardless of whether or not the tree is healthy. That's right, Steve. As we've seen, it only takes one tree to fail during a red flag event, and the damages claimed could be substantial enough to bankrupt a utility. That's more or less what happened to PG&E as a result of the campfire. We should certainly want to avoid that from happening again. Yeah, I can also see how that type of liability, coupled with giving the utilities a carte blanche on private property, could really cause them to go overboard on on clearances and uh, uh, cut things over zealously. And, you know, you can really blame them either, given what's happened in recent years with... uh, you know, tree and power line related fires in the state, and of course, consequences of that like bankruptcies. Very true, Nick. Uh, but on the other hand, what a horrible result for the environment if every tree tall enough to hit a power line was topped or removed. 
So, Larry, while the bill does address the demarcation of responsibilities, meaning it gives the utilities the right to do the work, the implementation of the new law will likely create an environment where some utilities will go overboard and some will probably not do enough work. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch uh, what happens if this bill passes. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I think this is going to be a big issue indeed. Uh, I'll be uh, keeping tabs on it. Before we uh, carry on with this episode, let's take a quick moment to hear from this week's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Live EO. Live EO offers the market-leading satellite-based vegetation management solution which helps vegetation managers to improve network reliability and safety. The software automatically generates grid-wide vegetation overviews from up-to-date satellite imagery and provides insights about tree location, height, species, and vitality. The system calculates the vegetation risk for each span and helps in budgeting and prioritizing cutback activities. Visit live-eo.com UVM to find out more and to schedule a free demo, or simply send a message to info at live-eo.com. And welcome back, folks. So given our time limitations today, uh, perhaps we could segue back to the main issue of uh, the topic of the problem of demarcation. So could you sum up perhaps, Larry, why is this important? And in your view, what do we need to do? Well, of course. We started our discussion today defining the term demarcation as a means of setting or fixing the actual limits or boundaries of something. It could be the boundary of a documented right-of-way, or it could be the limit of what work is expected. They're both demarcations. For the purpose of fixing UVM-related problems, we need to address and set each of the following demarcations. One, we need to tell utilities exactly what we want them to do. Two, we need to give them the absolute right to do that work. Three, we need to authorize the resources necessary to accomplish it. And four, we need to verify that the work was actually performed correctly. You can't just do one or two of these. All four must be accomplished in order to be effective. If you think about it, all of those demarcations have been addressed for transmission systems through the adoption of FAC 003, the limiting of responsibility to the utility company's actual easements or right-of-ways, and the commitment by FERC and NERC to authorize and support spending the money necessary to do that work as a consequence of the federal government setting up this clear demarcation in all respects, we don't see as many outages, fires, or accidents on transmission lines. It is a true rarity that occurs only in the most extreme circumstances. The same, though, cannot be said for distribution systems. States may tell the utilities what they want done, but rarely do they also tell them they have the right to do the work nor do they guarantee they will be reimbursed for these major expenditures. Demarcation challenges are clearly most common on our electric distribution systems, and that's where I believe we need to start working on the problems. We cannot make tangible progress in protecting lives and property along distribution systems, which is where most of us live and work, unless states enact proper demarcation rules that address all four of the demarcation issues we've just discussed. Well said, Larry. 
And with that thoughtful closing commentary, I personally would like to ask our audience to discuss these concepts with your coworkers uh, and your peers and ask yourself the following three questions. Do you think you are told exactly what your regulators want? Do you think you have the absolute right to do the required work? And finally, are you provided enough resources to accomplish those goals? I would have to say we haven't, as an industry, fully addressed those demarcation dilemmas yet. Nick, your closing comments? Yeah, I just add that, you know, see this in quite a lot of places. I seem to recall in California, maybe six to 12 months ago, there was a requirement to reduce fuel load on the right of way from, you know, um, trees that have been uh, felled on or off right of way where the fuel load hadn't been removed. And within that requirement, it was very unclear as to whether the utilities would get. Uh, compensation for doing so. So that, you know, in, in my mind would be, you know, a, a sort of an instruction from the regulator that didn't cover all of the key aspects of, of demarcation. Um, do you remember that one, Steve? Have I got that right or anything that you want to add to that? Yes, Nick, I do remember that. And there are actually a lot of other similar issues we could cover, uh, issues particularly here in California that have to do with a demarcation issue. As usual, Larry, that was another thought-provoking conversation, and you left me thinking about a lot of important issues. Uh, Thanks again, and we look forward to talking to you in future interviews. Well, it was a pleasure to be back, and I hope that what we've accomplished today not only helped the UVM podcast listeners consider this weighty issue, but also helped those listeners understand the importance of closely considering the policies that underlie the laws and regulations that govern this work. And you've got me... uh thinking, Larry, about whether to apply the issue of demarcation in a domestic setting. So my mind is uh, racing on that subject as well. I'll plead the fifth on that. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Um, Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, thanks again for uh, returning to the seat of resident academic here on the UVM podcast, Larry. Always uh, a pleasure to have you on the show. A quick update on Senate Bill 396. This episode was recorded in early August and the bill was quashed in late August but we decided to run this episode anyway on the basis that the uh, rules of demarcation would be useful and and helpful in other contexts. And on that note I'm going to end the episode with a message for our listeners. Uh, Yeah, We would love to get any feedback that you might have and would also welcome any input you might have on guests or future topics that you'd like us to cover. Simply send us an email to podcast.utilityvegetationmanagement.com and we'll make it happen. Uh, Also, if you have uh, an ISA uh, qualification and you want to pick up the CEUs for this episode, uh, check whether they're available in in the title of this uh, podcast episode and then navigate to the UAA website and find and pick up the uh, quiz for the episode uh, on there. Um, So that's it for today's episode. See you on the next one.